This episode was so much fun to record. It's a little longer than usual, but that's because I'm talking to two type nines at once, and they are both very dear friends. I'm excited to introduce you to my friends Aaron and Tanya. I won't say too much about them yet, because you will hear that at the beginning. The type nine is our true peacemaker. They are stable, optimistic, and supportive. If you know a type nine or have ever met one, you would notice immediately how calm and comfortable you feel in their presence. Because of their need to maintain peace and avoid conflict, they can tend to merge with the needs and desires of others. At their best, they are thoughtful, steadfast, and present. Listen as we break down some of the key aspects of the Enneagram as they pertain to the peacemaker. You will truly enjoy hearing from Aaron and Tanya as they share real-life experiences about the strengths and the struggles of the Type 9. Thank you so much for being here again for another episode of the Discover Freedom podcast. Today, I'm excited because I have two lifelong friends with me, and we're doing a little bit different this time, talking to two people about the same type, but I want to let you get to know my friends, Erin and Tanya, so I'm going to let you guys tell us a little bit about yourself first. Erin, if you want to start. Okay, sounds good. Um, my name is Erin Smith, and I recently moved with my family to the Dallas, Texas area, from Manhattan, Kansas, where we had lived for 20 plus years um, for my husband's consulting business. And um, uh, we have been kind of on the Enneagram journey for a couple of years. It was something that a good friend of mine introduced me to, and it's been really, really impactful in both our marriage and in our family in general. And so now I talk about it to everybody that I can possibly talk about it with too. Uh, and so Missy and I had a great time talking about it one day and I was like, okay, let's, let's keep talking. So we keep, yeah. keep, keep that conversation going constantly, which is super fun. Yeah, that is great. And you have three kids. I do. I have three kiddos. My oldest is graduating from high school this year. Mm -hmm. and headed to, uh, headed to Los Angeles for, um, to Biola University for film school. Yep. And then my second is a daughter and she is almost 16 and mm -hmm. she is into volleyball and horses and all kinds of girl things. Mm -hmm. And then my youngest <laughs> is 11 and I can't hardly believe, yeah, they're just, they grow up so fast. It's true. It's true. And it's crazy because Aaron and I have actually known each other since probably before kindergarten. We started school together in kindergarten, but yeah, our whole yeah. lives were in each other's weddings and just have been able to keep in touch over the years. So it's fun to be doing something like this together now. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and Tanya and I have also known each other for a long time, I think since like 1995, somewhere yeah, around there. Yeah, and so we were in high school together. I was actually in school with her brother, but got to know her through the years and um, now living in the same city again together. <laughs> so Tanya, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so my name's Tanya Fehrenbach, and I, as Misty mentioned, I've lived here in Williamsburg, Virginia, mm -hmm. uh, and for a long time since I was 12, and I'm now, how old am I, 38? It's been a long <laughs> yeah. time. Um, yeah, ended up going to college here in town at William and Mary. Met my mm -hmm. husband in high school, who was born and raised here in Williamsburg, and we've settled yeah. here. So my husband is the lead pastor of a church here, and that my parents founded actually, which is the reason we mm -hmm. moved to Virginia from upstate New York when I was twelve. And yeah, and how I, we met, really. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So many years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and so I help lead that church with him. I serve as our worship ministry overseer, um, as an elder, 
and do a lot volunteer. I'm also mm -hmm. a personal trainer and I work at Orange Theory Fitness, which is yeah. a kind of a boutique gym here in town and, but it's all really all over the nation and the world. Mm -hmm. And I'm also working on my holistic nutrition certification. Uh, yeah. Nutrition is something I've been passionate about for years. And so I'm finally kind of really pursuing that and seeing where that takes me possibly looking to start a business with that yeah. um, food cool. coaching and helping people with that. So I have three kids. My oldest is 14 and heading into ninth grade. Hopefully in the fall, we'll see if school I know. <laughs> resumes. Uh, uh. And then I have a, let's see, he'll be 12. My middle son is 12. Yeah. Um, in a couple weeks, his name is Jude. My oldest is Asa. I don't think I mentioned that. And he is heading into seventh grade in the fall. And then I have a, some, a daughter finishing up kindergarten named Zoe. Yeah. So I've suddenly become a homeschool mom in this quarantine life that I we're know. in right now, Crazy. <laughs> um, which, yeah, I'm sure we could all say there's pros and cons to all of it. Yeah, so for sure. For sure. And, and Aaron, who did homeschool forever and then was just sending her kids kind of back to <laughs> school. <laughs> Yeah. 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 With this, this whole, um, this whole world has just shifted everything all over the place as everybody knows. And I think it's interesting to see the things that you thought were essential that are no longer essential and what I gets know. cut out of the, the schedule right away. And it's just been yes. very interesting. Yes. Well, we're going to start talking Enneagram, but I will, um, in the notes of this episode, I will put you, your links so that people can find you and get to know you better. Um, Tanya okay. does have a Instagram where she puts great recipes, plant-based oh, recipes. Cool. And then Erin, um, which is an episode for a whole, or a, a topic for a whole nother episode, has the most amazing home that you guys put on, is it, um, it's not Airbnb. Uh, it's on VRBO and Airbnb. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's on both. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's actually the last time that we saw you guys in person, we visited you there in Kansas, but this amazing yeah. like schoolhouse from what year? It was built in 1916, 1916. Um, and then massively renovated in the late thirties. Uh -huh. And then you turned it into a home with yeah. your interior design business behind it in the yeah. old gym. <laughs> yes. Yes. In the gymnasium is the, was where the business was. Yeah. Yes, it was absolutely amazing. Yeah, so if you guys want to find more about these things, you can find links in the um, episode notes. But we're going to get into the Enneagram and talk about the type nine. So the type yeah. nine is our mediator, our peacemaker. Um, type nines are trusting, stable. They are always, well, they're usually looking to avoid conflict. Um, they tend to merge with others to avoid that conflict. But when they are healthy, they are just some of the most stable people. They have their feet on the ground. They can see all points of view, which is very helpful in counseling and, and working with others, which is so needed. Um, tell us a little bit more in your words what you would say a nine is like. Um, well, I guess the, the nine was uh, for me as I was first starting to look through the Enneagram information, I kind of passed over it because um, I think it's very true. Oftentimes the things you start reading about yourself that you don't want to be, you're like, that's definitely not me. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but when I look back on it, um, people have always said that um, 
that there's just this ability to, as you were saying, see all different points of view and just yeah. be a peacemaker truly. Um, yeah. I think one of the, a couple of the words that I really like about um, uh, the nine description as I've learned more about it is just adaptability and flexibility. Mm -hmm. um, I, for one, um, love the fact that I find I, people say that you're easy, really easy to get along with and you right. don't, you enjoy truly, truly. And I've had to explain this to my husband, who's an eight, who doesn't believe this is <laughs> possible, um, that you truly do enjoy just being with people and you're yeah. not constantly needing to have your opinion or your perspective be the number top front forward thing. And yeah. so I would say that's kind of in a nutshell. Um, who the nine often is. And while you're talking, Erin, tell us how you discovered the Enneagram. Um, a friend of mine had just mentioned it to me um, as a personality typing system. Mm -hmm. And um, I think the first book that I had actually um, came, had come across, they had mentioned it was called The Road Back to You. Mm -hmm. And which was kind of a nice overview of things. And so I pulled that out and I just started going through the numbers. Uh, like I think most people do, Trish, trying to figure out what you are yeah. and what, what resonated and what didn't. And I actually typed myself as a three for a while. And I've come mm -hmm. to find out that I am actually the counterpart nine, which is the social nine. Mm -hmm. And it often masks as a three. Yeah. Because the one thing that I was really quick to, I was like, that's not me, was having a hard time making decisions or being very slow to get started on things. I'm actually very mm -hmm. much a quick to get started on things. And, but uh, my business partner would, we would laugh because she would say, well, I'm going to have to nail your feet to the floor to actually finish this because I <laughs> definitely, definitely struggle with the staying focused on things. Um, yeah. portion. And, um, and so that was kind of how I got started. So for a while, I thought that's what I was. And there were just aspects of it that the really the biggest one was um, the three is known for being more of the one that always wants the stage and always wants to be up front. And I really didn't care about that. And yeah. I was fine to be a little bit more behind the scenes supporter person. My business partner yeah. is definitely a three. And, okay. um, and so we both thought for a while we were just threes, but then I've started to realize uh, over the years that she was always the one that um, uh, was totally, and I was okay being uh, in front. I didn't, it wasn't averse to it, but it wasn't yeah. like that important to me. Right. And so I think that started to delineate maybe for me a little bit of the difference of motivation. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And we'll talk more about motivation and also subtypes a little bit because that was a big factor for you, I know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Tanya, tell us how you discovered the Enneagram and what it's like to be a nine for you. Yeah, so I first heard about the Enneagram through just a few people talking about it. And then it seemed to really become something I was hearing more and more about for probably mm -hmm. two years before I ever actually looked into it. Yeah, uh, And then I also read The Road Back to You. That was my kind of introduction, which is definitely the book that I tend to recommend to people when they're wanting yeah. to check it out. Because yeah. then I read <laughs> uh, the sacred, <laughs> I think it's called The Sacred Enneagram. Yes. And that was good. Totally but, different book. <laughs> yes. It was like a deep dive, right? Uh, Very deep. Very and, deep. you know, I know for some people, finding out their Enneagram type is a journey. 
that takes mm-hmm. a while. Mm-hmm. For me, I read about the type nine and I knew immediately it was me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also didn't like that that was me, okay. which I've heard Ian Cron, the author of The Road Back to You, say that that's often a sign that it is your type. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. often you read it and you feel maybe upset, disappointed, I don't know, lots of emotions and feelings. Right. And I definitely felt that way. And yeah. kind of still do, to be honest. It's definitely mm-hmm. been a journey for me. Right. But immediately knew I was a type nine. And I, I guess I would describe a type nine as someone who is a peacemaker and kind of, as you already said, Aaron, really good at seeing everyone's perspective and very motivated to keep both internal and external peace and harmony. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Very good. So let's talk a little bit about motivations. As you guys know, that's a big piece to what the Enneagram is because a lot of people are afraid to get boxed in and typified by behavior or what they look like on the outside when the Enneagram really reflects the motivation that's going on inside. Why do we do what we do? Why do we perceive the world like we perceive it? And so for a type nine, it's pretty simple and we've already mentioned it, but the type nine is motivated by having that serenity, peace of mind, avoiding conflict, tension, avoiding demands being put on them. Can you guys give examples of how that plays out in your life or what that feels like? So it's funny, I was sitting with a bunch of my employees um, back in Kansas, and we were sitting there having this planning session, and I made the comment, I just am so ready for everything to just calm down and get into Mm -hmm. a good groove, and one of the gals in our office looked at me and she said, oh, that's so funny. I never even think about that because I know that's never actually going to (laughs) happen. And it was one of those moments where I hadn't ever thought about it in relation to my Enneagram type, but it had never dawned on me that maybe actually everybody doesn't think that, like that's not a desire Mm -hmm. and a goal for everyone in general. And, um, and so that was one of those little practical moments of going, wow, there are so many different ways to look at the world. And what was fascinating to me about, we dove into that conversation just a little bit more. Um, and then to hear her take on it, I thought, wow, it is, it is so amazing how Mm -hmm. everybody sees things so differently. So that desire to protect and create a feeling of peace and calm even in the most non-peaceful and non-calm scenarios is definitely a driver in my heart. And I never thought about it that way. Yeah, that's crazy. And, and I don't remember who says this um, or what book it's in, but um, I've read or heard before the idea that, you know, you can be, it's like seeing a movie or a show. There's several people in the room or in the same theater, you're in the same place watching the same movie in the same surrounding, but everybody's perceiving it a different way. And so you can watch a movie or a show and some people might find it funny. Some people, it might be a move to tears. Some people might think it's terrible. Others think it was the best they've ever seen. You know, there's just a whole different perception. And it, that's what drives our, our behavior or our actions that follow that. So it's so interesting and so important to know. Yeah, for sure. Tanya, what about you? Yeah, I, I feel like that motivation plays out in a lot of different ways for me. So I'm trying to think of some concrete examples. I think I notice about myself more than I perceive others to do this is that I, if there are things going on that haven't been tied up or wrapped up with a neat little bow, Mm -hmm. it's like I have 
too many, um, you know, when you have lots of windows open on your desktop, it's, <laughs> yeah. I can't, I'm not at peace. And so I'm not good anywhere. So I have this mm. constant kind of running flow of emotional, like that hasn't been wrapped up yet. Mm -hmm. And I find that that really affects me. Um, mm -hmm. Another, an example too, for me is being out in nature. I've learned finally, like just in the past year that just going for a walk outside and I don't even have to be deep in the woods, although that's really nice, but not always feasible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but being out in quiet where I can settle and kind of make sense of all and close out the windows on the desktop or what am I saying? Yep. The screens, the, yeah, yeah. the things that are open that helps me. I come home like a totally different person. So my husband right. literally knows like they just go for that walk, go do that thing. And it's not like I'm mad and have to blow off steam. It's just, I need some time without, you know, three children and a husband and a phone. Like if I have texts in my waiting for me, I cannot handle that. And I don't, I'm not sure that's a type nine thing or just a me thing, but it's like, I have to know that everything's harmonious and taken yes. care of. And, yes. and I can't relax until no one needs me. And I know we haven't gotten there yet, but that's when I know I'm not doing well is when I start to get angry. Everyone leave me alone. Like there's too many <laughs> demands on me, you know? Uh -huh. Anyway, that's right. my definitely a strong motivation for me is to feel like things are complete, that I've met people's expectations, mm -hmm. and the window on the desktop is closed. And if that's not mm -hmm. there for me, I have a really hard time relaxing, being fun, being mm -hmm. pleasant to be around. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Really being myself. So, right. That's a good image. I like that. I'm going to probably use that later. That's good for a type nine. So there's different aspects, as you guys know, of the Enneagram. We're just going to touch on a couple of them in this episode, but one of them is wings. And so the way I like to look at wings and just explain it for people that are listening is that they're the two numbers to the side of your Enneatype and they're resources. So we can use both wings. We can tap into the characteristics and behaviors of those two numbers that are to, to the side of our number. Um, Usually people have a dominant wing, but sometimes people use them equally. So I'd like to know, first I'm going to describe a little bit about how the, those wings look and how it affects the type nine and then know which ones you guys identify with and what that looks like for you. So the type nine can have either an eight wing or a one wing. Um, the eight wing is a little bit more typically more outgoing. Um, tends to be uh, a little bit anti-authoritarian, can vacillate between being confrontational and conciliatory. But the nine typically this, you know, stays away from conflict, confrontation. But if they can tap into that eight wing, it's like they build up the courage to say what needs to be said and to, to show up when there's conflict going on. Um, and then if, they, if a nine flips to the other side and uses their one wing, which I think I heard a little bit of one playing out there and a lot of what you were saying, Tanya, because I related as a type one to some of the things you were saying. Um, but they can tend to be a little bit more introverted, not always, but more orderly, idealistic. They can be more critical, emotionally controlled, focused, um, and compliant. So do you guys identify with one more than the other or tell us about that? You want me to go first? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I definitely have, a, I think, a strong wing one. Okay. For sure. Okay. Um, 
I would like to see more of my wing eight develop. I need to work on that. I do yeah. see that from time to time, specifically when it comes to my kids or if there's been extreme injustice, I feel injustice and that anger has built up enough that I'm, mm -hmm. I don't care. I'm willing to confront a little bit more. Yeah. Like I remember one time there was a really, um, there was a soccer game that my oldest was playing in and he's very big and tall for his age. So we've always yeah. been questioned about his age, but specifically in sports, w once he got into middle school, people are a little more competitive and they almost, they want to see a birth certificate, right? So <laughs> he was oh, playing man. soccer, his final, he doesn't play soccer anymore. This was his last season. And we were playing a team and the parents were just terrible. They were loud, cursing from the sidelines, like just not great sportsmanship. It was that kind of atmosphere. The coach yeah. got thrown off the field. It was kind oh, of wow. a mess. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so the game ends. We had won. They were angry. They're walking off the field. And as we're walking away, I hear, I overhear one of the parents talking about my son, mm -hmm. referencing him by his jersey number. And basically questioning if um, he should be on that team. There's no way, like talking about his age. And I had just had enough. I reached that point and I marched up to her and I said, excuse me. And I basically confronted her and I wasn't mean, but I said, I told her his birthday. I said, I'm his mom. I know he was born on that day. I was there and like just confronted her. But that's very atypical for me. It right. takes a lot for me to get there, but I see that sometimes. Mostly, I feel like I have the wing one in terms of, um, I like I love routine. I, I I tend to see things as there's a right way and a wrong way, not to mm -hmm. the point that I'm I'm not typically overly critical because I can see everyone's perspective and point of view and honor that. Yeah. But for myself especially, I have a tendency. It's I, I'm either doing well or I'm not doing well at all, mm -hmm. and. I love, I like things to be just so. I like routine. My family makes fun of me that I could eat the same thing every day. <laughs> like I just, there's a lot of those tendencies in me. Yeah. So that's how yeah. it plays out for me. That's funny. Yeah, I definitely, I relate to that too. I actually was making oatmeal for lunch and Danny was like, it's lunchtime. I said, I know, but I didn't have it for breakfast and I, I have to have it every day. <laughs> that's so great. Yeah, yeah. I got to so get Aaron, back on my you? routine. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> um, yeah, I can relate to a lot of those same things, Tanya. And um, I think that whole not being um, pushed until finally you just get to that point where that eight pops out. Um, my, my business partner would always just be like, oh, here she goes. Oh, I love it when she gets mad about something because it just <laughs> takes so much to get me riled up about anything. And I tell people, I truly don't have an opinion about a very many things, uh -huh. but you get me going on the things that I do have a strong opinion about. And there's this little alter, alter personality that can pop out sometimes <laughs> and not in an angry, mean way, but just in an absolute right or wrong. So I don't know whether right. that's part one and part eight or a little bit of, um, you know, both. The other right. thing that, um, when I think about the, um, the wings, the the tendency at least from my understanding the one is the person that doesn't like having a lot of demands placed on them and when i was running my business full time i did when we moved to texas i stepped aside stepped away from my business um, which was very hard to do but i'm realizing that a lot of my anxiety and my stress came from 
I was in a very high demand, um, did not handle, uh, did not um, work well with routines because it was the construction world. It was an interior design um, business and a contractor would call on a Monday and need you to be right there right then. And that didn't work into my plan for the day. And so I started to realize that that part of, and I didn't really know that that was a tendency of maybe a nine with a one wing, um, not doing well, or just not handling other people's demands on you. And so that's when I started to see some of those passive aggressive, stubborn tendencies, like digging in the heels. And I will answer your call when I am good and ready. And when it works (laughs) well for me, um, kind of tendencies come out. And I just would, you know, it just kind of would shock me like, where in the world did that come from? Right. Um, But I definitely see those tendencies. So yeah, I definitely Um, say I'm a nine wing with our nine one wing into. Okay. Okay. Um, so something I wasn't going to ask you guys, but you've both mentioned it a little bit. I want to just go there for a minute. Um, so the nine is in the gut triad and they, the, the eights, the nines and the ones are all driven by that anger, but they handle it different, differently. So the eight obviously is the type that it, they, show their anger more externally and it's easy for them to show it. They kind of has the thought that anger is not bad. It's just a natural thing. It happens. They don't really feel bad about it. And then they move on with, with what's next. Uh, the one um, thinks that anger is bad. So they try to avoid it. They feel it all the time, but they kind of repress it. It turns out being more of this like constant frustration and resentment. People that are closest to them can usually tell that it's there all the time. Um, and then the nine because they're looking for that peace, they try to avoid it at all costs. And so for the one and the nine, there's that thing that can happen where they just can't take it anymore and they can explode. Um, but I think it's interesting that you both have mentioned that because that's another way to determine if that's really your type to find what triad you're in. Um, so is there anything else you guys would like to add to that about the anger aspect of the nine? It's hard for some people, I mention it because it's hard for some people to, to believe it because you guys are the peacemakers and we usually only see that side. And so people are, will hear that the nine is in the gut triad and that they deal with anger and they're like, no, that can't be possible. But, but you do. And who better to hear that from than, than other nines? Yeah, I would definitely agree that um, it takes a lot of energy and when I would, was first reading about the nine, there were a lot of references to not just the whole slothfulness, but then also that they typically don't have a lot of energy, which mm-hmm. was hard for me to relate to because I'm a pretty energetic person. Right. But when I started reading about what zaps your energy, um, because we do spend so much time trying to maintain peace internally and externally, we can be exhausted by that. And the anger part of that is huge because you're trying Mm -hmm. to avoid and keep things calm and at peace at all times. And, um, and I don't know about Tanya, but for myself, um, I I think it was in, I forget now, maybe self to lose self to find. That's another really good book that I appreciated. Um, she just talks about the, um, the desire and the, one of the things that you can tend to pat yourself on the back about is that I don't get ruffled easily. And that's something that I actually find pride in. Like I, I like that about myself is right. I can, ju- I, I don't, um, I think she says nines make um, molehills out of mountains. 
Mm-hmm. And the, that tendency to be like, it's all going to be okay. It's all going to work out. It's, it's all going to be just fine. When inside you may be freaking out and you're trying <laughs> your darndest to make sure that on the outside, everybody thinks you truly think it's all going to work out. And yeah. that can also relate to the anger part. It's all going to work out. If I blow up, it will just cause relational strife and and trauma. So I'm just going to keep it internalized. And my husband is always saying to me, honey, you have got to let some of that out because I I know that you are upset and that's not healthy, but it is just that natural tendency of if I let this out, it is going to be ugly (laughs) and I don't want to mess up the image that I don't get ugly because I keep myself under control. Right. Yeah, that's really good. That's good. Um, Okay, so let's move on to another aspect, um, integration and disintegration, which um, just to explain it a little bit. So if you look at the diagram of the Enneagram, you'll see the lines and the arrows and some people are like, what the heck is that? So each type is connected to two other types by these lines. And so what that shows is when we're in disintegration or under stress, we go to one another number and we take on some of the unhealthy traits of that type. And then on the flip side, when we are doing well, we're, we're kind of growing personally, um, everything's going fine, we're at our best moment, we can go to a, another type, to the other side, and we take on some of the healthy traits of another number. So for the type nine, the type nine is connected, it's in the center, the triangle, and it's connected to the type six and to the type three. So let's talk first about disintegration to get it over with. So the type nine goes to the type six, um, the type nine that's usually at peace and calm and helping everyone else's world to be peaceful. They connect with the anxiety of the six and their mind can start racing and they can start seeing all those worst case scenarios and become very fearful. Do you guys deal with that at all? And what do you think brings it on? Or can you give us some examples? Yeah, I will. This is Tanya talking. One of the things that I think is funny is that my husband is a six. So when he mm-hmm. is doing well and healthy, uh-huh. he becomes more like a nine, right? Which mm. is me. And when I'm not doing well, I become more <laughs> like him, which we just joke about. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I definitely see that when I think what I'm not entirely sure what gets me into a place of disintegration. But when I feel that there are too many demands on me, I have a tendency to, that's when that anger comes out a little bit more like we talked about. Um, But that's where I start to get anxious and in my own head and I don't know who I am. And I, that tendency to merge with other people and their, their expectations of me takes over. Hmm. I don't know if you want me to elaborate at all on that, but that's when I really see that. Um, right. Also, you know, if our schedule is too busy, we, you know, we're, we're leaders in an organization in a church. And so talk about people having expectations on you. Mm-hmm. I yeah. definitely experience that. Also my place in my family, I have three older siblings that are, they all have very strong personalities. So that's a whole nother conversation, but there's family (laughs) dynamics there for sure. I don't, none of them are nines. I don't think, I mean, we haven't all discovered the Enneagram, Enneagram, but, um, but even like 
in that kind of a scenario, feeling like I have to merge with what everyone else expects of me or thinks of me or how they would do it. Yeah. Um, which is also, I'm the youngest of four. So I think that plays into it. But yeah, mm-hmm. I find that when there are a lot of expectations placed on me, I tend to disintegrate into being fearful, anxious. What if I'm not enough? What if mm-hmm. I can't please everybody? What do I need to change to please everybody and even to please myself? Like I just kind of get into this bad place with all of yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Aaron? Um, the little, the questionnaire that you had, or the kind of information that you'd sent over, Misty, um, the complete, that last sentence is exactly how I physically feel. There is that physical mind racing and that low grade anxiety that I don't typically deal with. Right. One of the things that I do like about being a nine is that I don't struggle with typically a lot of fear and anxiety. So Mm -hmm. then I do, I know it's really, I'm coming to learn, I guess I should say, as I sense those emotions to stop and go, whoa, wait a second. There is definitely something off if that is how I am feeling right now is just this constant low grade anxiety. Mm -hmm. What, where is that coming from? Because that's just not typically how I feel. Right. Right. That's good. Um, So on the other side of that, and the thing that we like to talk more about is integration. Of course, um, as you guys probably experience, when we go to the low side, or in your case, the low side of the six, it seems to be more of a natural thing. It just kind of happens. We fall into that. In order to integrate, it takes a little bit more intentionality, and it takes us being more focused and kind of moving in that direction. Um, So in the case of the nine, they move to a three. And so where they are normally, um, you mentioned earlier that sloth and laziness to um, put it that way, which in the case of the Enneagram, it's not so much um, a physical laziness. It it can be, but it's more of a spiritual laziness, just not stepping into who you are, your purpose. And so it takes a little bit more effort. But when they integrate to a three, the three is the motivator, the one that's always like setting goals and moving forward and leading teams and projects and Um, so you move into that space and you realize, Hey, it really is worth being present. And it's a blessing to others for me to step up and step into my place. Um, how does that look for you guys? Um, so the three, uh, the reason that I thought I was a three for a long time, um, I guess this means I was in a healthy place. I don't know. Um, I'd like to think that uh, was because that was very much who I was. I was very much into setting goals. What I deciphered was the difference was the motivation, but you and I have talked about this, Misty, those two numbers are so closely connected and I wanted to be a three because I thought they were cooler. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, everybody's all, everybody's all about, oh my goodness, they make these goals and they get so much accomplished and this is so amazing. (laughs) So I could relate, Tanya, where you're like, yeah, I'm not really so happy that I'm a nine, Um, but I'm coming to appreciate the, the, the strengths that are truly from the nine. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I look back on my business relationship with my business partner, who was a three, we worked so well together because, um, 
we both were, I think, in pretty healthy places. And so that ability to be the visionary and then also we didn't both need to have, um, not that she needed to have the front spot, but I was okay being a little bit, you know, just that support person. And we worked so well with our employees because she would be able to tackle it from this perspective and I could come in, but our numbers were so closely related. We were still on very much the same wavelength. Um, And so I think that, that when you see yourself in that healthy spot, you can, um, and that's why it's, it's kind of counter nine ish, if you will, when Mm -hmm. you are in that place, because like, it sounds like Tanya, you're a business person, you're doing all these things that people initially, I think, relate to not being a nine, Um, but it can actually be a really, really healthy place to be. And I know I've read in multiple places that nines when they are in a healthy spot can be some of the best leaders because they Mm -hmm. truly can empathize and understand so many different perspectives. And that was one of the areas that I think was a strength for my ability as a business owner was to be able to say, okay, but what about this? And I see this and let's pull all of that together. Um, And so anyway. Yeah. Very good. Tanya. Yeah, my experience with being a nine, which I, I'm pretty sure I'm a self-preservation nine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so I, I think I have a pretty different experience than you do, Erin. In fact, I'm hearing you talk and I'm like, man, I want to be her kind of nine. No joke. I, so I know we're talking about integration right now, so I don't want to yes. be like downing myself. When I'm in a healthy place, I move the needle in important ways in my life, Hmm. but I feel that I have to fight really hard to do that. Like you kind of said, Misty, like it takes a lot of intentionality. I, I really find that for myself, I have a strong tendency. I find that a lot of the, my, my closest friendships are with people who have very strong, independent personalities. I I tend Mm -hmm. to be drawn toward people that are that way. But if I'm not careful, I just merge into what they think right. is important or, or I should be doing. And, and in fact, this season that I'm in right now, so I was a stay-at-home mom for many years and, of course, doing a lot with our church in terms of leadership and a volunteer capacity and also uh, teaching fitness classes at a local gym. I was very busy and doing things and contributing you know, to our family in a monetary way a, a little bit with my kids in tow. and. I think from the outside, it would look like, you know, I kind of knew what I was doing and what I wanted to do with my life. But now I find myself in a place where all of my kids are in school and I have these, I have this passion for nutrition, but I have no idea how to put one foot in front of the other. Mm-hmm. And I'm very slow and I fall asleep very easily. In fact, the line that resonates with me a lot is I think that it's Susan Bastille. Am I saying that right? What's or um, who co-authored Su- Susan, Suzanne Stabile. Suzanne Stabile. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so she talks about, uh, and I'm going to botch the line, but she basically says something, Ian Cron is quoting her that basically like nines are either, they have a hard time getting going, but if they don't like, they could never get going. And even when they do, they need to keep going or they'll just stop. And it's that momentum. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I find that in my own life, like applying for my LLC to start this business. 
that emotionally drained me. It took me 10 mm-hmm. minutes. It was not a big <laughs> deal, but I, mm-hmm. I am very indecisive. And so that's what I hear you talking, Erin. And I'm like, oh man, I like, I look at people who can make decisions and make things happen. And that is just not me. Like I'm the girl who I go to clean my house and I get done cleaning a bathroom and I feel exhausted and overwhelmed because I see all the other things that need to be done and I can't do it all right now. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, and I don't mean to yeah. just down myself, but I definitely, definitely find that I very easily can just kind of get tired and emotionally drained by things right. and by making decisions specifically. Yeah. Um, by talking to people, like I'm not... I, I'm definitely an introvert, but I, I know how to have a conversation with people. Like, I think a lot of people would assume that maybe I'm not. Um, yeah. But the truth is that when I'm at church and people are coming up and they have questions and like very real needs, I, I go home and I just want to lay on the couch. No one talked to me. I feel completely <laughs> drained. But anyway, I know we're not talking about disintegration. We're talking about integration. But I, <laughs> my experience with being a nine for sure is that I have to work really hard to make decisions and be okay with me and be okay with the decisions that I've made and not have that little voice in my head of what would everyone else that I respect and love do. Cause I have a lot of people who are in my life that I love that are getting things done that are parenting. Well, you know, I mean, talk about parenting. Like I constantly have these voices in my head of, what would my sisters be saying or doing? And, and sometimes that's wisdom, but a lot of the time for me, that's baggage. I just need to, I need right. to just be me and be okay with that. And, and so anyway, right. when I'm healthy, I'm able to do that a little bit more. And yeah. when I'm not, that's really hard. And I just want to go take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think well, the next thing we're going to talk about is um, the subtypes. And I think a lot of what you're saying and the difference between the way you guys are talking has to do with that. But I will say that um, it's no, it's good that you're saying that because it shows that it does take more intentionality. And I know you and, um, threes are very much about personal growth. When they, when they uh, are integrating, they go to a six and they realize the importance of team and they realize the importance of helping others reach their goals, but their go-to is their own personal growth. And that can be good too. And so one of the things that I think shows up in a nine, when they integrate to the, the positive traits of a type three is investing in that personal growth. And I, you know, just now we can't like actually get together and talk, but observing you, I know that you do that in things that look, do look very self-preservation with, with health and exercise and all that kind of thing. But that is integration also. So don't feel bad. (laughs) You're, you're hitting the mark. (laughs) I'm doing okay. Okay. You're doing okay. (laughs) Well, and I think maybe along those lines too, recognizing the areas in order to, so for example, because I had a business partner who was a three and a very strong three, Tanya, she was my execution. Um, Mm -hmm. She would always tease me that she'd have to nail my feet to the floor for me to finish something because I would throw all these ideas out there. And then like you, I'd be like, all right, well, that was exhausting. Now I'm ready to take a nap. (laughs) And she'd be like, okay, well, let's do this and this and this. And she'd have it done before (laughs) I was even like, oh, did we actually decide we were going to do that? Because, um, uh, you know, I tend to be like, we're we're in the process of buying a different car right now. And I'm like, okay, well, this is a really good deal, but 
I mean, that one could be a really good deal. Oh my too. gosh. And so, you know, so you can do that forever and always on just yeah. about every decision. Yes. And so, and so to surround yourself with people when you recognize this is an area that my personal tendency would be to blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, but, and I didn't, we didn't know that about ourselves when we started this whole process. And so I just think it is always that constant journey to say, yeah. okay, that's a huge strength and I need that strength. And um, so, but yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I laugh. No, go ahead. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, there was this, there was this phrase in, um, in something that I had read online talking specifically about benign that they don't show their pain. They don't burden others and they don't show people how much energy it takes to devote so much effort to their community. You don't want the people at church or at your business or whatever to know that they exhaust you because you wouldn't want to offend them and you don't want them to think that you can't um, help and be a part and all of that. So you, you answer the questions and you do all the things to try and bring peace to the situation. Mm -hmm. And then you do go home and you're just like, I'm going to die. I'm so tired. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, no, I can totally relate. I, yeah. I have just one more quick thought, that something yeah. that, that might be beneficial to say for, for someone to hear. But one of the things I know about nines is that we tend to get, like what you're saying, Aaron, like nail your feet to the floor to actually complete something because we can get distracted. Yeah. And I remember uh, in the road back to you, Ian Cron, who's married to a nine, tells this funny story about them having uh, his parents or his mom for dinner. And she yeah. was supposed to go out. She had two hours to go out, get groceries, come home, make dinner. And an hour goes by and he hasn't heard from her and he calls <laughs> her and she's like, well, I had this coupon to Bed Bath & Beyond. So I stopped there to get sheets. And then I did da, 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 And she ends up running all of these errands and, you know, doesn't stay focused on what she set out to do. And I definitely don't experience that with running errands because I hate running errands, but <laughs> I have trouble moving the needle on important things. And something that I've been working on lately, especially with looking to start a business is making a small to-do list of like three at most things that I need to do today that are big things that aren't check your email or right. tell that person back, but big achievable things. Yeah. Because if I don't do that, I will be gloriously distracted by folding a <laughs> basket of laundry because at least like, I feel like I accomplished something, but I didn't accomplish the right thing. Yep. And so that's a tendency with being a nine that I find it's really helped me to be aware of that tendency in me and mm -hmm. keeping my eye on the prize that great. You accomplished all these piddly little tasks, but did you do the thing? And right. even in, this is a bigger thing conversation, but even I find that in relationships, instead of having real intimacy and seeing the person and them seeing me, I'll, it's like, I am okay with all the, Oh, well we did, we were in the same room and we got all this done. Does that make sense? Mm, but I don't, yeah. I, I don't necessarily always know how to move the needle on the thing that matters the most because I, I'll right. get very distracted by all the other things that are easier to accomplish. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. No, I like that. I like the, the idea of the nine having to, have the thing like front and foremost for them to focus on. That's good. Um, so let's move into subtypes because um, I think a lot of 
what you guys are saying can be explained in this. And I actually just finished yesterday or the day before the content for, I'm going to be doing a series and in Instagram on subtypes. And I just finished the content. So I'm going to read to you what each subtype looks like, um, because this is probably one of the most complex aspects of the Enneagram, but I think it is of utmost importance because um, it shows how some types can look like other types. And so it's one of the bi biggest explanations for why people mistype and, or why some people will mistype other people and yeah. which is one of my biggest pet peeves when someone's like well so and so told me that this is my type so you know and don't <laughs> do the the internal work to really figure it out um but so for the type nine uh, so i'm not going to go into a big explanation but there are three instincts that then break into 27 subtypes because each instinct each of the three instincts um paired with each of the nine types um, gives that variation uh, within each type, and then with it gives 27 variations um, of the enneotypes. So for the nine, I, I gave some of them names, some of them come from other places, but there's the self-preservation, which Tanya was talking about, and I call it, I'm calling that the comfort-seeking nine. And so the nine whose dominant instinct is self-preservation has its own rhythm and philosophy of life and stubbornly resists any demand for change. They are patient, have good common sense, and keep their feet on the ground. If their routine and lifestyle are disrupted, it is extremely difficult and challenging for them. They rest in their physical comforts and in being in a supportive environment where they are not bothered by the influence and demands of other people. That's just a kind of a very short summary of the Self-Pres 9. So if you want to read more about it, there's a book called The Complete Enneagram by Beatrice Chestnut, and she one of her biggest focuses is on subtypes. So that's a good place to read more about it. Um, so then we have the social subtype, um, which is the engaging nine. This is, as Aaron mentioned, the counter type. So in every enneotype, there's, there's the three subtypes. And one of them is the counter type because it's the type that can most mistype or look like another type. So the nine whose dominant instinct is social is the counter type of the nine because they are the most outgoing, active, and involved with the world and with others. They are optimistic and tend to be the glue of society, yet they are still emotionally self-reliant and never feel like they completely fit into a group. This nine may resemble the type seven or type three because of its excitement and task orientation, but they still struggle with inertia and with full knowledge and pursuit of their own desires. They can also mistype as a type two because they try to meet the needs of everyone in their group so that they are happy and can man maintain the peace. And then the third subtype is the one-to-one, -one, or it's also called the sexual subtype, is the merging nine. And this is the nine who is kind, shy, gentle, and not as assertive. This nine perceives the world with wonder and awe as a child. They merge with another person, assuming the attitudes, ideas, and feelings of the other because it feels too difficult to express their true self. This gives them internal anxiety because they tend to lose their identity in the process and it causes an internal battle between the desire to merge and the need for autonomy. And this nine can look like a four or a six. So Erin, you mentioned that you definitely relate to the social subtype. And I know that was a big thing in you finally deciding you're a nine. Yeah. Do you want to say anything more about that? Yeah, I think that, um, I think the subtypes definitely are a huge part because the there are several things about several of the types that seem very similar and so mm -hmm. to be able to dissect that down further um, yeah. for certain types i think is very helpful because being a counter type when i first read through all of the nine ness i mm -hmm. automatically discounted it because there were so many things about it that just seemed 
ingrained in what a nine would look like that I just didn't relate to. Um, And so I think that's kind of what prolonged for me really getting down to what I was um, because it was so quick to just say, oh no, that doesn't apply to me. Um, And so for the nine, the social nine being a three or a seven, those were the two that I vacillated between for a long time because of those exact things. And so it was really helpful. And yet my husband all the way along was like, you are not that. I know you are not that. <laughs> and, um, and I would read him some of the different things and he'd be like, you are a nine. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I am not a nine <laughs> of all the things that is not what I am. Um, and so anyway, so it's been quite the, quite the journey. And yeah. I do think that, I think that it's, you know, for like, for Tanya's situation, I know so many people that they read their number and they are like, Oh my word, that is me to a T. And mm-hmm. And I'm, and so I felt like, okay, what's wrong with me that I cannot, I'm reading through all these numbers and I'm thinking, well, I mean, I can kind of relate to all of them a little bit. So what is wrong with me? (laughs) Right. Yeah. And that's where the subtypes come in because like in my case as a type one, I'm a self-pressed one. And that also is the most typical one. And so as much as there's great books out there and as much as people try their best to describe all the different aspects, there are some qualities that just people latch onto them. And that's the typical way that type should be. Yeah. Um, in, the, in the case of the one, they, everyone thinks that all ones are perfectionists and they're not. It depends on your subtype. And so people say, no, but sh- that person can't be a one because they don't, you know, they don't care about the details. They're not clean for freaks or whatever, mm. but it just, it goes, it gets down into the motivations and then these subtypes. And so I think in, in Tanya's case, um, the self-pres nine is probably the one that looks most like what everyone thinks a typical nine is. And so that's probably why you relate to it the most. What did you think when you read through these descriptions, Tanya? Yeah, I, I think I had a little bit of trouble figuring it out immediately uh, yeah. uh, in terms of subtype. I, but then I mean, it didn't take me long. What really made me realize there were a couple of things. The one that stood out to me the most was, um, I forget how it was worded in the, the information that you sent me, but, um, about like basically being in touch with their bodies and how they feel all the time. And it's funny because my husband has joked on me for years that He's like, you're like, you know, I, I need some paprika right now. Like you're so in touch <laughs> with what you need and what your body is telling you, uh, which might be a good thing. I often feel like it's not because right. I, I can get very thrown if I'm not eating the things I'm used to eating. And I don't mean like physiologically, just it's more of an emotional mental thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, all of that. Like how how I feel in my body is a big deal for me. Yeah. And so reading the description of that, and she went on at length about that, and then I had my husband read it as well to be like, "What do you think? This is what I think. What do you think?" And he was yeah. like, "Oh my gosh, yes." <laughs> she already started studying that a bit. Um, I think then because I know it can be stacked, right? I think my second yes. one would be yes. the um the one to one. Okay. Yep. Uh, is that right? And then the social, I think, but I definitely think that the, like Aaron, no one would ever mistake me for a three. They just, <laughs> just wouldn't. Or a seven. I look at threes and sevens. I have friends that are that. And I'm like, why can't I be that? I want to be that. Um, 
which I think Misty, didn't I tell you at one point when we were first exchanging or like texting about uh, or connecting about the Enneagram and I was like, I just, I, I don't want to be a nine. Like that's yeah. how I felt. And you were just yeah. reassuring me. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm learning to love things about being an Enneagram nine, but anyway, I, yeah, I think that, where was I going with all of that? Yeah. I just, I also, I need like, I, I don't remember if this is a self-preservation thing, but I need like peace and quiet. And like, mm. I don't know, that's a really big thing for me. Like I have to feel okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's funny because people, there's so many different ways to look at subtypes and you are right. Um, we can use all three at different times. It's kind of their instincts. So there can be a, a, can be a situation in life that brings out a different instinct, but it's like the wings. You tend to have one that you use the most. So, yeah. And I think too, oh, I was going to say, so people will talk about how you can kind of tell subtypes from how a person reacts when they walk in the room, when you walk in a room or into an event, are you thinking first about like, okay, how is, what are they going to feed us? And, and is the food going to be on time? And you know, that type of thing, then you're probably a self-pres or if you wake up in the morning and the first thing you think about is, oh, I got to have breakfast. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's what it was. She said something about, they always carry a water bottle with them. <laughs> was there something about that? And my husband yes. just laughed. Cause I, my, I, even my kids, they all have their water. We don't go anywhere without a water bottle. <laughs> like I don't go any, if I know I'm going to probably want coffee, I bring coffee with me. And also, cause I eat a plant-based diet. There's usually not that food readily available. So that probably right. makes it worse. <laughs> But I'm always bringing food with me everywhere. But I'm also, it's almost like I'm anxious to get really hungry and not know. Like I have friends, I have a friend who's a seven and she's very like fun and um, spontaneous spontaneous and like, oh, there'll be food. We'll figure it out. I do not have that, that gene. (laughs) I do not have that at all. Like I'm always very concerned that I'm going to have what I need. Right. And that my kids are going to have what they need too. Like yeah. I put that on them a little bit too. Yeah, no. And you mentioned the peace of mind. And I think also self-preservation types are also very concerned about um, like a peaceful environment. It's all about the feeling like, what am I in my closest ones? Are they going to be comfortable yes. physically? <laughs> yes, that's me. <laughs> That's so funny. That's great. Oh my goodness. Well, we could keep talking and talking about this. I have a couple of questions for you guys to wrap it up. Um, I would love to know what your favorite thing about being a nine is. Go ahead, Erin. Okay. Um, Honestly, I think I might've kind of given this away a little bit earlier, but I just love that for the most part, um, people really just it's easy for them to be around a nine. And I've had lots of different people, sometimes in the work environment, sometimes in family situations where they're like, thank you for just being easy to be with. Um, I took a long international trip with my mom and my son. And she's like, you guys are just so, you're so easy to be with. And my son, Mm -hmm. my oldest is a one with a nine wing. Um, And, and just don't ruffle feathers and don't cause problems and just make it easy to be around. And thank you for that. And so I love that. And then honestly, the ability, I do really enjoy and appreciate the ability to see a lot of people's perspectives because I think that it does encourage um, 
bringing peace to scenarios, not to be cliche, but um, to really be able to help be a mediator in a lot of different situations, simple situations or challenging situations. Yeah. And, um, and I really do, I do enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Tanya. Yeah. I would actually say the same things probably. Um, again, of course I feel you would, like, you're a nine. I know, right? <laughs> oh, Sorry, I, I couldn't hope, resist. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you don't re- regret having me on because I feel like I'm so down on being a nine. No. This, this is where I'm at in my journey right now is my entire life, my whole family has told me, oh, you're so nice. You're just so agreeable and so nice. <laughs> that I honestly have gotten really tired of that. <laughs> and I feel like, man, I want to have an opinion too. And I'm just discovering that I yeah. do have opinions yeah. and how to share them and how to yeah. be okay with at age 30. What, what did I say I am? I keep forgetting. <laughs> 30. 38. Okay. Not 40 yet. I'm getting there. Um, <laughs> so, but I would say like, I, I do, I do. I am, you know how it's, it's, it's for me, at least it's harder to be grateful for the good. I see all the negative things, honestly, but Mm -hmm. if I, I do agree that it, I don't think of it as a special thing because it's just who I am, but I am really good at seeing all the perspectives in the room. I am really good at being in a room full of people and being very aware of how this might come across to them and how mm-hmm. they must be feeling. And I, because it comes naturally, mm-hmm. I don't often celebrate it. And I really should, because it yeah. is a gift and it is a great thing. Um, and yeah. the same thing you said, Aaron, about being agreeable, all of my friends tell me that, like, it's just, <laughs> you're so easy to, you just kind of come along and you're easy to have around. And so I'm glad I'm that way. <laughs> I am, but I have yeah. a lot more to say about, you know, what's hard about being a nine, but we're not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but while you're there, and I know you've shared some of that already, but can you maybe just recap what yeah. would be your greatest struggle with being a nine? Uh, yeah, energy, finding energy to accomplish okay. the important things, uh, not merging, being okay with making decisions, being okay with being different and seeing things differently than other people that I admire and respect. I don't mm-hmm. always know what to do with that. I don't have a slot for that. Yeah. I admire and respect you, yet you have a totally different viewpoint. That's I- incredibly exhausting and almost discouraging to me. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it makes me fall asleep. That whole tendency that nines had that you said of of um lacking inertia and apathy and laziness. I definitely that's my biggest challenge is falling asleep to how I feel, what I think, and getting things done. Yeah. Um important things done. I can keep a clean house and, you know, make food, get food on the table every night, but like, but dreaming big and making right. steps toward that feels yeah. very emotionally draining for me. So yeah. yeah. Okay. Erin, what would be your biggest struggle? Yeah, I would say some of those things as well. Um, and if I can articulate why, Um, I think it goes back to that root issue that we don't, we as nines in general, I will speak for all of us, um, (laughs) we struggle with knowing what it is that we actually want. Because again, as I tell my husband, 
I really, I mean, most of the time I'm okay to make your agenda, my agenda, because that sounds like fun. Sure. Let's do that. <laughs> you know, why should I, yeah. why should I try to do, if you feel really that strongly about it, then by all means, let's do it. Let's accomplish your goal. How can I help you do that? Um, and that, like you're saying, Tanya, that merging tendency, instead of stepping back and realizing it is actually okay for me to really ponder what is it that I believe God really has for me to do and mm-hmm. be okay to, to pursue that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think along those same lines, that would be kind of the bottom why for me behind mm-hmm. ha- getting caught, you know, stuck in those same things that you were mentioning, Tanya. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. That's good. No. And don't feel bad, Tanya, about being a downer about the type nine. I think it's great. And I love that about these episodes and talking to people when someone can be vulnerable because it's so helpful to someone that's listening and needs to know that they're not alone and that they experience these things and being able to understand themselves more or understand someone in their life that is in this case a type nine. So Mm -hmm. I think it's great. Um, So the last question for you guys, um, I like to finish up with this question. What do you need from those that are closest to you in your life, whether it's your husband, your children, your parents, best friends, what do you need from them to help you be your healthiest version? I know for me, I need to know that I am loved, celebrated, seen. Mm -hmm. I do not like the spotlight. I can get it up in front of people. I love to preach God's word. I'm, I'm fine getting up in front of a crowd. I don't like attention, but I need to know, I need to at least know that you see me there. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah, like if, if I'm in a room and there's a close friend in the room there and they don't acknowledge me or like, I don't, I, that makes me feel very unsafe. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I need to know that I'm safe and that with the people who are closest to me, which is what we're talking yeah. about. I think I need to know that, that I am incredibly important to them. Even if they don't, I don't need to make, if they make a scene, I'll be embarrassed. Right. But I need to know deep down that I'm safe with them, that I'm one of their favorite people in the room. Yeah. I, that's what yep. makes me feel very safe. Also, the people I feel the safest with are those that honor who I am, but help push me to be better. Mm-hmm. So often what I want someone to do is take me by the hand and be the adult and tell me what to do. <laughs> But what I really need is for them to say, hey, you know what to do. And this is what I see in you now go do it. Yeah, Mm. that's that's good. And I'll just add to what you said. We've talked about this actually, but um, this is another topic for another day. But um, one of the childhood message that the nine struggles with is feeling like their presence doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And I know that that can be amplified being the youngest of four siblings. Um, and a family with strong personalities and all that. But no, that's important because it carries on into adulthood. And so it's good for others that love you and care about you to know that that's important to you. Mm -hmm. Erin? So it's interesting. I'm the oldest of four Mm -hmm. children. And, um, And I think that one of the areas that has maybe spoken into this personality type for me was that desire to not ever let anybody down, um, and to always be under control. Mm. And so I tease my husband all the time because he's an eight. They don't worry about that. And, um, (laughs) and so for me, yes, some of those same things that you mentioned, Tanya, for sure. 
Um, and then in addition to just to know that as I practice being honest with how I really feel and allowing maybe that anger to come out in some ugly ways that I'm trying really hard not to let it be ugly, um, the grace to know that my friends and my people will mm -hmm. still love me, even if I don't always have it under mm -hmm. control. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so how that plays out practically, um, is sometimes for my husband, he has to allow me to just be really, to be verbal and to kind of push me into it almost like poke at me until I pop and <laughs> then say, and then say, I love you. Let's talk this through. Let's work yeah. through this because you've got to get that out. And mm -hmm. so that encouragement slash a little bit of a, of a goading along there, um, is actually really helpful. And it, I hate it. I hate that feeling of being like, oh my gosh, this is going to be tense. I'm not going to like this. <laughs> um, but after it's over, I realize, no, you're right. I needed to get that out. I, and I do yeah. feel better. And so just being gracious, like he wants me to be gracious with him and his eightness and the things he's learning about himself, the same thing. And I have very, very thankful for the Enneagram because for the first time we've been married for a really long time, um, we have some language to be able mm -hmm. to communicate to each other about some things that's been yeah. very, very helpful um, going both ways, but helping right. each other be able to communicate. Okay, so this is how my nine eyes see this, and this is yeah. how my nine heart hears this. And so it's kind of that growth for me being able to communicate and articulate that I'm actually seeing this is that kind of nine personality, not in a, I'm blaming it on my nineness thing, right. but just in the ability to communicate has been really, really helpful. Yeah, that's good. And you mentioned, I think two or one word, but two, another one came to mind that I think are two of the biggest gifts that the Enneagram gives us. And that's the ability to have more grace and compassion for others. And it's so important for, for others to understand Mm -hmm. us and vice yeah. versa so that we can extend that grace and compassion so that's really yeah. good yeah for sure. well thank you both again for doing this I really really appreciate it I know it's going to be helpful to so many people and um hopefully we can do something else again in the future so thank you so much thanks for absolutely having us. Fun. To get to know today's guest even more, you will find links to their personal accounts in the episode notes. Thank you for listening to the Discover Freedom podcast. Continue to learn more about the Enneagram by following along on Instagram at Enneagram underscore Discover Freedom. You can also find me online at www.mistyescobar.net to learn more about the coaching services that I offer. This is Misty Escobar, and I hope you'll connect with me again next week as we hear from another Enneatype.